Welcome into Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. We got a bunch to dive into. A little bit of a programming note. Um, again, encourage you to go listen to the Stephen A. Smith interview. Uh, went up yesterday, 90 minutes long. Uh, you can go listen to the full podcast. You can go search out Outkick. You can listen to the audio only. You can go listen to the video. I believe it's up on uh, YouTube as well. Point on this is it's 90 minutes long. And I know a lot of you are getting ready to travel for the holiday season. I am going to be going. I don't think I've said this publicly yet. I'm headed to Australia uh, with my family for Christmas. Going to spend Christmas down under, New Year's down under. Never been to Australia. Can't wait to go. But I had a lot of travel. I think it's like a 15-hour flight to uh, from L.A. to Sydney. And so I'm going to have a ton of books. I'm going to get a bunch of movies. I'm going to get some audio. Got a lot of things to catch up on. So add it to your repertoire. I know everybody's busy. I promise that you will enjoy that. And I think you'll be very happy uh, if you do so. Uh, Also, coming up, it'll be up a little bit later today. uh, Kelly Stewart, uh, Kelly in Vegas, and I will do the fade, breaking down everything in the world of the NFL. Outkick six-pack, been doing decently, at least compared to the college football gambling picks. Uh, and uh, we'll have a bunch of gambling for you headed into the Thursday weekend and maybe a little bit of an early preview on some of the big playoff games. I know for college football, I've already got uh, some ideas locked in there. Um, But we got a bunch of stories that are out there, and I want to start by saying bravo to Riley Gaines. I don't know how many of you have watched her testimony on transgender sports-related issues that she gave yesterday on Capitol Hill. But she was phenomenal. And I am super proud that she is affiliated with OutKick and that we are fortunate to have her uh, fighting the battles that she is as a part of the OutKick uh, umbrella of fantastic content that we're providing so many different places. Guys, she's 23 years old. And she fearlessly, bravely, and smartly sat down in front of Congress, is getting attacked for believing that men should not be able to identify as women and compete in women's athletics, which is such like a basic area. You might have heard me talking with Buck about this because we talked about it a bit on the radio program. The reality here is Riley Gaines was called transphobic for believing that men should compete against men and women should compete against women. And... She fought back and said, well, if you're going to call me transphobic, I'm going to call you misogynistic because you are arguing that men should be able to dominate women's athletics. And if you heard her confront Congresswoman Summer Lee, I believe is her name, represents the Pittsburgh area of uh, the Pennsylvania district. And the Congresswoman was so taken aback by that response that she stopped the hearing tried to have it stricken from the record, then took it back off uh, uh, line and said, okay, I'm not going to have it stricken from the record. I thought it was so well done by Riley Gaines. And it distilled perfectly how false and untrue so much of what is being said in this debate really is. Riley Gaines is not afraid of men. She's not afraid of trans people. She just simply doesn't believe that a man should be able to compete against a woman in women's sports. And I said on the radio show, but I'll reiterate this, you wouldn't say that I am age-phobic if 
when I was coaching Little League Baseball, which I have done for my kids, if somebody tried to put in a 16-year-old pitcher in 12U sports, and I walked out and I said, no, 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 no. This kid is too old to be able to participate in this sporting event. No one out there would say that I was age-phobic. You would say, for purposes of competition, the reason why there are age limits is because 12U means you have to be 12 or younger. And if you bring in a 16-year-old, that 16-year-old should dominate 12U sports because he's biologically older than the 12-year-olds. This is no different, right? The reason why we have age restrictions, we have all sorts of restrictions in sports. But even the idea of saying that it's transphobia, no. Nobody's saying that you can't choose to be whatever gender you want. But you just don't get to continue that and become a women's sports champion when you're a dude. Like, this is not remotely complicated. I thought Riley did a really good job pushing back against this. And some people out there say, okay, uh, do you worry about the direction of the country? I get asked that all the time. And my answer is I'm an optimist. And I'm super optimistic that we're winning this issue because increasingly the number of people who are able to argue that a dude pretending to be a woman should win a women's sports championship, the farcical nature of the argument is collapsing and we are winning. I mean, this is a 70-30 issue according to some polls. I think it's moving towards 80-20. I think it's a 90-10 issue in actual people who know sports. I've said this before. I don't blame uh, I don't blame people out there. If you don't participate in sports, you never coached it, you're not particularly interested in sports, I understand how you could think that there's not that much of a difference between men and women's sports. But for anybody who has ever coached Little League boys or Little League girls or anyone who has played sports at a decent level, just like a high school level, there's a big difference between all boys sports and all girls sports. And that's why boys and girls sports are separated, right? If we just wanted to have unisex, very few girls would be able to play sports because most girls wouldn't be able to make a boys soccer team. Most girls wouldn't be able to make a men's swimming team, right? If we just had unisex sports, what that would mean is the exclusion of women. And it's very important to realize this is only a story for men pretending to be women and trying to compete in women's athletics. There are no women who identify as men that are even able, by and large, to make a boy's team. That is, if you are a woman and you decide, hey, I'm actually a man, well... Those people don't make teams, right? Because girls identifying as boys have to compete with boys and boys are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. If this were truly just some sort of made-up issue, there would be a lot of women identifying as men who are winning men's championships. It's not happening. They don't even make the team. The only way this happens is because biology is real when men decide to identify as women. And I've seen... Uh, Riley saying lately, uh, women's sports shouldn't be the province of mediocre male athletes. You're not good enough to win as a man. You shouldn't be able to become a woman and try to dominate women's sports. I can't believe this is a real story, but I do think it's worth uh, serious uh, discussion. 
And I give immense credit to Riley for the way she handled herself yesterday. Okay, a couple of other stories. Uh, the NCAA uh, released a pretty revolutionary, when you consider the history of the NCAA, a pretty revolutionary new plan that would require, not require, would allow many top colleges and universities to directly pay their athletes. Instead of right now, the way that NIL works is someone external is paying a college athlete to play potentially on a sports team. That's not that's not supposed to happen. You're technically paying them for their name, image, and likeness. So you have them doing events. You have them uh, out there. You're trying to produce revenue under their name. But by and large, it's pay for play. Let's be realistic about what's going on here. Um, and what they're saying now is, Instead of being prohibited from paying anything, now there is a policy in place which would allow basically universities, and I believe the dollar figure is $30,000 per athlete, and it would be paid to men and women's athletes, and it would be a new subset of NCAA. So instead of just FBS, for instance, and FCS in the world of football, uh, FBS and FCS, there would be a new higher level than FBS, which would basically be pay athletes uh, level of competition. And maybe there's only 100 schools in that. Maybe there's only 60. Maybe there's only 70 schools could choose to opt in. And there would be set rules for how much you could pay athletes for basically overall salary caps. Now, look, I think all this is going to have to be resolved. And we're just in the early stages of what that final uh, epitomization of athletics is going to look like. I think personally, and I've been making this argument for years, so this is not something new. I think what's going to have to happen is basketball for men and football are going to have to get spun off and treated differently than every other sport. Because the reality is this. You're seeing Title IX lawsuits over NIL. Uh, You're seeing people point out rightly that most athletes don't actually have an NIL value. The reality is this. If you are a scholarship college athlete, Your scholarship is more valuable than the value that you provide to the school for almost all athletes, right? The only athletes that have a value over and above their scholarship are men's basketball and football players. That is the high revenue producing sports, the 85 scholarship athletes in football and whatever it is, the 12 or 13 in basketball. I'm not even sure what the basketball numbers are right now. Some baseball players, maybe, but you only get a third of a scholarship. Some, like UConn women, University of Tennessee women, relatively few women's sports teams at all produce any kind of substantial revenue. Maybe a couple of them do, right? My point on all this is we're in a brand new paradigm, and there is going to have to be a newly created process by which college athletics athletics is governed. And... I don't think the way that it exists now is going to be able to be functional for the long run. What do I mean by that? I don't think you can have yearly uh, transferability. You can transfer, theoretically, you could go to four different schools in four years, maybe longer, and play college football. You get four to play five right now, which probably end up getting challenged. But you could theoretically sign as a freshman Uh, before you even get to campus, a deal. You could have a good freshman year, put yourself in the transfer portal, leave again. 
Uh, you could then, if you're really taking care of your academics, you can get the graduate transfer exemption. Uh, graduate, honestly, if you're really taking care of your ex- uh, your academics, you're on campus so much as an athlete, you should be able to graduate in three years. And you could put yourself into the transfer portal again as a graduate transfer. You could play for three schools in four years. It's not difficult to do at all. You could sell your labor three different times. Now, I'm a capitalist. But you know how that differs, for instance, with the NFL? When you get drafted in the first round by an NFL team, they have you for four years guaranteed and get a fifth-year option. I believe that's the latest details on what happens when you get drafted. In other words, you can't go anywhere. You have a slotted salary. You're set for four years. If the team likes you, they can pick up your fifth-year option if you're a first-round pick. So why sometimes there's value in being like the first pick of the second round because you get into free agency earlier. And given football, a lot of guys only hit free agency once. My point on this is, if you're a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old going into the NFL draft, they get you for four years. You can't sell your labor for at least four years. If you are a college athlete, you could sell your labor to three different schools in four years. So they're going to have to adjust this in some way Uh, But to me, it is interesting the way that they're breaking this down. Uh, Okay, a couple of other things that are uh, are standing out there. I also saw the congressional hearings yesterday. Elise Stefanik, congresswoman from New York, did a really good job diving into what free speech codes actually are on university campuses. And what she pointed out was that someone calling for genocide walking around on the campus of Harvard or the University of Pennsylvania, I believe MIT was the other school or schools that were there testifying, you can call for the genocide of Jews. And according to those university professors and presidents, that doesn't violate speech codes. Now, you guys know I'm a free speech absolutist. Remember, I got kicked off CNN. I am banned for saying the only two things I believe in 100% are the First Amendment and boobs. Some of you will remember that well. Uh, If you haven't seen that clip, you would enjoy it. So if the colleges want to have extremely expansive definitions of speech codes on campus, and they want to apply it evenly to everyone, I would actually support it, okay? So that would mean that if you've got people out chanting on college campuses calling for genocide, that you should also let college kids go out and march in favor of the KKK or in favor of other terrorists, right? That is a very expansive uh, free speech platform. They don't do that. They content discriminate. And the reality is Jews are seen as white. And as a result, a lot of Jewish people are looking around saying, wait a minute, we've been oppressed for our entire ethnic history Uh, it wasn't that long ago the Holocaust happened. Over a 1,000 Jews were just systemically murdered by Hamas for simply being Jewish. But in the mind of this race-obsessed, broken identity politics wing of the Democrat Party, the Palestinians are seen as the minority, as the brown or black-skinned oppressed, and the Jews are seen as the oppressor. And they're doing it almost entirely based on the color of skin, even though, as we all know, Jewish people are all different colors, right? I mean, this idea that Jewish people are only white is crazy. But they have created this colonizer, colonized 
oppressed or oppressor dynamic, which is almost entirely rooted in race. And so what a lot of Jewish people are suddenly realizing when you see the way these speech patterns are applied is, wait, we're actually just seen as white. We're seen as the oppressor. We're seen as the colonizer. We are seen as the bad guy. And therefore, even though we're the victims here, even though over a thousand innocent Jews were murdered in a terror attack, these idiots on college campuses can only see this through the prism of color and they lack the ability to reconcile and comprehend the idea that Jews, who are often white, are the victims here and that the Palestinians, through Hamas, are the actual uh, the terrorists. And so, again, this is, I think, the identity politics coalition of the left collapsing because you've got now Arabs and Jews going head to head. And by the way, how interesting is it that there's almost no discussion of religious faith here, right? The irony of someone who is gay or trans supporting Palestine is so insanely dumb that they don't even have the tools to recognize what the Palestinians would do to the trans community or what they would do to the gay community if people moved to Palestine and tried to be trans or tried to be gay. Uh, Remember, Iran years ago went before the UN and they were questioned about the way that they treated gay people and the president of Iran said there are no gay people in Iran. Pretty interesting, right? Um, So this Muslim faith compared to the Jewish faith is actually a big part of the story because the Jewish faith is tolerant. Walk all through Israel. There's trans people. There's gay people. They have human rights. They're protected. The people that don't have human rights are primarily in Palestine embracing the Muslim faith. But nobody talks about religion because it makes people uncomfortable on college campuses, but they want to only see this through the racial prism. And I think this has been an incredibly eye-opening experience for many Jewish people. I saw Tommy Lahren tweeted this yesterday, and I, and I shared it. How can you vote Democrat if you are Jewish, seeing what you are seeing come out of the Democrat Party right now? I think the answer is, and this is what I tweeted, a lot of people see their political party as a team. And once you become a fan of a team, you don't ever leave that team, no matter what ends up happening. So I think all of that factors in. Uh, but it is very interesting to uh, to think about and also eye-opening for many people, I think, to see exactly how toxic this worldview, which is profoundly racist, has become that motivates the left wing of the Democrat Party. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Uh, Taylor Swift going from uh, the conflict in Israel, terrorism, racism. Taylor Swift is Time's Person of the Year. Says in the article, 97% of people know who Taylor Swift is. I have got, look, I've been to a Taylor Swift concert. I like Taylor Swift. I think she's super talented. I have a thesis for you here. Taylor Swift is going to end up, before all is said and done, the richest entertainer in the history of the world. Some of you out there, you're like, you're crazy, Clay. Think about it. I believe she is 33 years old right now. 
Her newest tour is going to be worth over a billion dollars. She now controls her song catalog. So all of the songs that she has been releasing over the last 15 or 18 years or so since she released her first album are going to be classics like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones as people age. And just as the Rolling Stones, for instance, are still on tour in their 70s, I would expect that if she wants to do so, Taylor Swift will be doing stadium extravaganzas for the next 30 or 40 years, if she so desires. And that along the way, she is going to continue to make billions and billions more dollars such that she is, by the time that her career is over, or maybe by the time that she dies, she'll outlive me probably by a lot, but she is going to be, thesis for you here, the richest entertainer in the history of the world. She's going to make more than any athlete. She's going to make more than any musician, more than any actor, the richest entertainer in the history of the world. Think about it. I think it is likely to be true. She is going to be worth, Taylor Swift is, not just billions. I think she's going to be worth tens of billions of dollars before all is said and done. And I can't think of anybody who's going to be wealthier. Michael Jordan, obviously, has become fabulously wealthy uh, based on his athletic talents. Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Lionel Messi, Ronaldo. All of those guys have made, and a lot of the race car drivers in F1 and whatnot that I don't even know all those guys. They make a ton of money. Uh, Certainly, you look at the success that somebody like Novak Djokovic has had that uh, top tennis players can have as they continue to win. Uh, Federer, certainly. Nadal. All athletes. All entertainers, Beyonce, Jay-Z, Rolling Stones, the Beatles catalog, which continues to spin off money, Michael Jackson. Thesis for you, Taylor Swift is going to end up the richest entertainer in the history of the world. I think that's going to happen. A couple of other things. I can't believe I'm going to say this. You know, I've been praising John Fetterman because he's been right on Israel. And I I believe whether you're a Democrat or Republican, if you're right on an issue, I think you deserve to be praised. John Fetterman's been 100% right on supporting Israel and criticizing Hamas. Um, I never thought that I would agree with anything this guy said. I I didn't think I'd be praising Fetterman. This one's going to blow your mind. I was watching yesterday, Kim Jong-un said uh, that the lack of population, that is women not having babies, is a huge threat to society, to the world, to civilization. Kim Jong-un's right. I never, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I never thought I'd be praising Fetterman. I never thought that I would be sitting around saying, you know what, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, he's right on the population issue. North Korea is losing population very rapidly. South Korea is in the space right now, Japan, Italy, a lot of these Western countries, and obviously North Korea is a crazy dictatorship, but a lot of these Western democracies, Germany, Italy, Japan, uh, a lot of them, the populations are collapsing because women aren't having enough babies. And y'all are going to think I'm crazy. The United States, China's population has peaked, has already begun to decline because of the one China policy. 
Everybody sits around talking about climate change and all these threats. The actual threat that I believe no one is talking about, by and large, that is a true threat to humanity is not having enough babies. Population in the world is predicted to peak, I think, in the next 50 years. And then based on where it's going right now, the population collapses. So I don't sit around worried about the climate at all. I look at the population, I say, wait a minute, remember when everybody was concerned we were going to have too many people, global overpopulation was an issue. If the United States didn't have immigration right now, our population would already be declining. And again, look at Italy, look at Japan, look at some of these very wealthy countries and look at how their population's collapsing. I tell my boys now, no joke, all three of them, I say, I want you to have as many kids as you can. In a marriage. I don't, want, I, I don't want you running around Travis Henry style, just getting women pregnant left and right, all these different women, Nick Cannon style. I want you to get married, and I want you to have as many kids as you can. I'm fortunate now that I can support those grandkids. I can put them in school. I can give them good educations. They're all taken care of. I tell my three boys now, I'm not even kidding about this, I want all of you to have three or more kids. Now, I don't know if they're going to listen to me. They may just look at me like kids look at their parents all the time, be like, Dad, you're crazy. I am talking to them now about the threat of population collapse, and I'm saying their generation has to come back and start having more kids. And almost no one is talking about this. I was reading an article, uh, South Korea in particular, the population is collapsing. I think the average South Korean woman now has 0.6 children. Now, I've got three. I would have kept having more. Uh, I had to, uh, full disclosure, convince my wife to go for number three. I would have had four. I would have had five. I would have had six. We got the resources to take care of them. But Elon Musk, to his credit, has talked about this. And I think Elon Musk got like nine or ten kids, whatever the heck he's got. Um, Everybody needs to have more kids. And if you're fortunate enough to have the resources to be able to handle the kids, and now I am. I wasn't, you know, a decade ago. It's even more important. So I'm talking to my kids now. I don't know if it's going to work out. I'm talking to my kids now. I was talking to my 15-year-old, my 13-year-old the other day. I said, hey, you guys need to have a bunch of kids. They're like, gross, Dad. Why are you talking about it? I'm like, look, we're trying to repopulate the earth and save humanity. You need to have as many kids as possible. And if you're watching me right now and you're wealthy enough to be able to take care of your kids, you need to have more kids. I want you all to have more kids. I'm encouraging you to have more unprotected sex with your partners and have more babies. That's what I'm saying. Um, okay, final. The fourth debate, by the way, is going on tonight. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find it on television. I've talked about this for some time. I, it, I have one remote. Is all I know how to use. I've got Comcast. We have every streaming service on the planet. If you can pay for it, the Travis household pays for it. I don't even know, want to know all the things we're signed up for. I don't know how to find News Nation. I think is the, the, the network that's going to have this debate. I like Megyn Kelly. I think she'll do a fantastic job. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to find it on my television. I'm going to look around. I'm going to do my research. If it takes me more than three minutes, I'm just going to watch clips online. Uh, but that's going on tonight. Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, uh, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis. Probably the last debate that's going to happen before the caucuses start on January 15th and before we get to New Hampshire at the end of the year. I would just make this humble request. If I were on the stage, given the fact that this is taking place in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the home of the University of Alabama, roll tide, 
They were right to get in as the four seed. I would endorse, if I were a presidential candidate, you might have heard me talk about this with Congressman Byron Donalds yesterday on the radio program, I would endorse a 16 playoff. This particular year, next year we go to 12. I think that Michigan and Washington should get buys. I think the three-seed Texas should play. You heard me talking about this yesterday on the show. Three-seed Texas should play the six-seed Georgia. Five-seed Florida State should play the four-seed Alabama. The two winners of those games should then advance to play against Michigan and Washington. We should add two more teams, play one more round of the playoff, six instead of four. Everybody's happy. Tell me why that wouldn't unite America, which is my goal as the most sane man in America. Uh, Finally, um, and by the way, we're going to do the fade here shortly. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, 46% of men say they could land a plane in the event something went wrong. Just 20% of women say it. Now, this is probably going to get clipped when I die in a plane accident. And people are going to say, see, Clay Travis, he was always stupid. I charter planes now. Sometimes I charter small planes. Several times, I don't know, probably 10, 15 times at this point, I have been in an airplane with only me and the pilot. Small planes, like these uh, Cirrus airplanes, for those of you who know them, they actually have a parachute in them. Several times I've been in the plane. Pilots turned and said, hey, if something happens to me, here's what we need to do to land the plane. You can pull the, uh, you can pull the, uh, uh, the, the parachute as well on this Cirrus plane. I think I can land a plane. I, I, I really think, and again, you're able to talk to air traffic control. A lot of the big planes land themselves is my understanding. But I've been in enough smaller jets and smaller uh, aircraft, where I sit and watch the pilot. Now, I don't have any desire to fly planes myself. I know a lot of people out there get their pilot's license. I don't want to worry about anything else. I don't want to worry about whether everything's working on the plane. I want somebody else in charge of flying me around. But I think I could land a plane if I needed to. I certainly don't lack for confidence. And I think I could have been a pretty good pilot if I had wanted to be pilot. Now, I don't, this is interesting. I don't like heights, but I don't mind being in a plane. I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know if my brain is broken. If you tell me, hey, you know how they have like that area where you can walk out over the uh, Grand Canyon and it's like glass and you can look down and you can see all the way to the bottom? I wouldn't do that. I would panic. They have that at the Sears Tower. I don't know what they call the Sears Tower now in Chicago all the way up where you can stand on glass and look all the way down I almost lost it when I had to do that we got a picture taken I was I was not good at standing over the glass and looking all the way down um I don't really particularly like you know they have it Rockefeller uh center that you can go to the top of the 30 rock building there and I was just up in New York last week and they have this thing where you sit have you seen the iconic photo where all of the guys are sitting on their lunch break when they're building. I think it was the uh, Empire State Building, maybe, or maybe it was Rockefeller Center, whatever they're building. It's an iconic photo from New York City where there's like eight guys sitting on one rail uh, having lunch. Looking at that photo makes me sick to my stomach. The idea that you would walk on just a steel beam 
and you would walk out there and you would in any way be comfortable with it, I almost lose my mind just looking at that photo. Now you can get on that steel beam, like something like it, and they will take your picture at the top of the Rockefeller Center. It's a new attraction. They just opened. I was reading about it, I think, in the New York Post recently. That terrifies me. I would never walk on a still beam. You get me out in uh, in, in any kind of uh, area where I'm walking, and it's I, I think I, I think I have a height issue. I don't have a height issue in an airplane. I don't know why that is. Does it make any sense to people? I don't know what it is. I think it's that I'm not moving. Maybe I'm just in a seat. I'm okay in a seat enclosed, but you get me out uh, walking around and I'm up at a high level, I I got major height-related issues. But I do think I could land an airplane. And I've been in a bunch of planes with just the pilot. And at some point, again, maybe one of those planes is going to crash. We actually came through a bad storm and I took out a ton of additional life insurance. True story. I took out a ton of additional life insurance after that storm because I was like, I'm not afraid of dying. Really not. Um, I'm 44. I'll be 45 in April. I've had a good life. Uh, and, you know, 100 years from now, whether you lived for 40 more years or whether you lived for 20 more years or 50 or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Like 300 years from now, nobody's going to care. Uh, my kids would care, but they're taken care of. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a fearful person. But I was like, if this plane's going to crash, uh, you, I... I've got a lot of money that I can make over the next 10 or 20 years. I've worked hard for this opportunity. I just don't want to leave all that money on the table. I don't want to leave $100 million on the table because I end up crashing in a plane. So I'm taken care of. Everybody gets the money. That's what I was concerned about. Not the actual crash, not the actual death. I'm fine with all that. All right. So this will probably get played when I inevitably die in a plane crash. Um, But hopefully it won't be because of my failure to land the plane because I'm telling you all right now, get the headset on, get on air traffic control. I think I'd be phenomenal at it. All right, I'm going to go record the fade now with Kelly Stewart, who is listening right now. I'll ask her whether she thinks I can land a plane or not. We'll give you the NFL picks, maybe give you a little bit of a preview uh, of the college football championship games, uh, the uh, the playoff games. This has been Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay uh, Clay Travis. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. Thanks for hanging. Go listen to that Stephen A. Smith long form or at least download it, have it on your phone, be ready to listen. I think you're going to like it. It's 90 minutes. See you all on the fade here in a few minutes.